Mr. Phil Nelson. He is the pastor of Lakeland Church in Carbondale. Pastor Nelson, thank you so much for your time. Glad to be here. So let's get to know you a little bit. Pastor, how long have you been at Lakeland Church? Well, I, I came officially as pastor in uh, July of 2006. I've been preaching there since April of 2004. So I'm in my 16th, 17th, 18th year of preaching there at Lakeland. And were you a pastor previous to Lakeland? Yes, I was. I, I've been I've been in, in ministry f- for the last 46 years. I pastored my first church when I was 19. I don't recommend that to anybody, <laughs> but uh, it was a great experience. And um, so I pastored Friday Missionary Baptist Church in Friday and then First Baptist Jonesboro in Jonesboro, Illinois before I came here. Were your parents uh, ministers? My dad was a Methodist pastor, <clears throat> and my mom grew up in uh, Durham, North Carolina at First Baptist Durham. And so they uh, they got together and named me Philip Wesley after the evangelist in Acts chapter 8 and the founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley. So I didn't have much choice but to go into preaching and evangelism. And what uh, kind of church is Lakeland Church? Lakeland's a Southern Baptist church, and... Um, we're uh, we're in, in cooperation with about forty seven thousand Southern Baptist churches around the country, and we actively um, engage in all sorts of different ministries. All right. Well, we're having you in the studio today for a couple of different reasons, but the primary reason is that uh, your church, Lakeland Church, has gotten involved in engaging with the fact that Southern Illinois uh, finds itself in lieu of the overturning of Roe versus Wade is one of the epicenters of abortion in this country and where we've seen news headlines of uh, mobile abortion clinics coming uh, to Southern Illinois, a number of abortion clinics opening uh, here in Southern Illinois. And your church in Carbondale is very close in proximity to one of the new abortion clinics. And so uh, the first question uh, that I have for you is that do you feel like you have a unified uh, congregation when you talk about uh, standing for uh, being pro-life? Absolutely. I don't think there's any question about that. If you were to ask any of our members, they would all um, land on the fact that life begins at conception and uh, abortion is only for the medical cause of the saving of the life of the mother physically. Um, and those are so, so very rare. Most mm-hmm. of the abortions, I'd say 99.99% of the abortions done in America today or worldwide are for birth control efforts or to sex select. Uh, lots of abortions happening overseas in Eastern and Western Europe are because they don't want a girl, they want a, they want a boy. Mm-hmm. And that happens in China quite a bit as well. And because we have this program talks a lot about political things, and we have a multitude of listeners to this program from all different political perspectives, uh, give me uh, the reason why scripturally uh, in the Bible that uh, Christians, well, the large majority of Christians, come to the perspective that abortion is wrong. Okay. Well, uh, there's a number of scriptures that go with this. In Jeremiah chapter 1, God says, I, I called you to be a prophet before you were born. In Psalm chapter 139, God says, I knit you together in your mother's womb before, before your, uh, my eyes saw your unformed body before one of them came to be. Um, uh, so we've got some very clear evidence in scripture in the Old Testament that that's such. And then we have in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 19, where God says about the nation of Judah, they are sacrificing their sons and daughters to false gods. And then he says this, it's very interesting. He says, I didn't even enter my mind that my children would do this. So here's the omniscience of God saying, 
I know everything. And yet when I think about my, my own children, the ones I call my, by nine, my name, would actually offer their children as sacrifices to false gods. He said, I, it didn't even enter my mind. And certainly that's a uh, hyperbolic, hyperbolic statement. But God's saying, this is so heinous, I couldn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. And then you come to uh, Luke chapter 1, when Elizabeth is visited by Mary, when Mary's pregnant with Jesus. John the Baptist is in the womb of Elizabeth. And it says, when Mary walked into the room, Elizabeth says, the babe in my womb leapt at the presence of the Messiah. So here we see that John the Baptist, three months before he was born, is rejoicing and 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 praising God because the presence of the Messiah had come into the room. So we see from very early on, babies even in the womb can respond to God. They are individual persons with fingerprints, with heartbeats. We know now the heartbeat starts at 18 days after conception. There's most kids don't even know they're most women don't even know they're pregnant till after that. Um, so to take a life after conception is the equivalent of what God would call to actually murder. With the exception in Leviticus, there's an exception to the rule. If the mother is it is going to be harmed, it says you know if you're going to if you go hunting, you can take the the babies, but you can't take the mother. Okay, because the mother can reproduce, kids can't. So hmm. there's that there's that sense if if the mother's going to be harmed and she's not going to live through this. That's the exception to the rule, but that's only the exception. It's a very, very rare exception at that. We have in the studio with me today Pastor Phil Nelson from Lakeland Church in Carbondale. So as these developments begin to happen in southern Illinois, what has your church been praying about? What has your church been considering doing in order to feel like you're living up to your Christian faith in action? Okay, a couple of things. Well, uh, first one is safe families. Uh, we have several couples in our church are safe family uh, people that if their kids in danger, like say there's a mom and dad that can't get along, or are there they've been in, arrested for some criminal activity and they've got young infants at home, nobody can care for them. We're a safe family uh, church where they can take those children and we can take care of them in our homes of our members until those things have been settled with their with the parents. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things we're doing. And, we, why, and, and why is that important in reference to the abortion question? Well, because it, one of the things we're told, Will, is children are liabilities. Uh, in our culture, we don't want to have kids. Kids are, you know, have 2.2 kids and you're fine. Because if you have any more than that, it's going to be expensive. It, you won't be able to take as many vacations. You won't be able to buy a new car. Well, I've got seven kids, <laughs> six, six daughters and one son. And somebody asked me, how come you don't buy, buy a new car? I said, well, I don't have a new car because i got seven kids. <laughs> mm, yes, well, very true. But who would put the value of a, of a car over a kid? And so one of the things we want to do with safe families is help these families who are going, going through difficult times to be able to have a safe place to leave their kids so their kids can be cared for in, in a very godly home while they're kind of figuring out how to do life together. Sure. Um, the other thing we're doing is uh, through Southern Baptist, we've got Angel's Cove, which is a home for unwed mothers in, in Mount Vernon. We support that through our offerings. Uh, we also support Carmine Children's Home, which is another uh, place where young kids who are having difficulty kind of making it through life, we, we provide for that. We also support Pregnancy Matters in Carbondale. 
Uh, we've got a uh, First Baptist Steelville has a um, I forgot the new the new uh, it's it's a new ministry they're doing for young Edward mothers that just launched as a result of this abortion issue. And First Baptist Steelville's got a great I think it's uh, something grace. I can't remember the exact name of it right now, but uh, they're doing a lot of things like that. Lots of churches now are stepping up to say we want to give. Um, We've we've done a thing called Buckets of Hope. Where we, so you've heard from the other church community. Yes, yes. Uh, back in June, we did a. Uh, I've been here for 18 years in Carbondale, and I've been trying to get churches together to to pray for awakening. And over the last 18 years, the best I could get was like three or four pastors maybe to show up and pray together. But once this abortion issue hit, I just sent it out about two weeks before that, saying we're we're in a crossroads in our country, and we need to pray for awakening more more than anything else. We had 15 churches, cross denominations, over 100 people show up. We prayed for two hours. It was back in June. And almost every person that left that prayer meeting said, we need to do this more often. So in some ways, Will, I think that this abortion issue has brought to the head the need for revival and awakening. And the, it, the church's response, is, the, the church's plural, has been greater than, I, greater than I expected or anticipated. Well, it is, it is one of the few cross-denominational issues that there tends to be consensus on uh, amongst the Protestant and not Protestant church, really. Right. Uh, because for all the folks that uh, can be critical of the Catholic church, I mean, the Catholic church historically has been very much a pro-life organization. Right. And so it does bring to, together some uh, ecumenical type of, uh, of activity. Uh, one of the things that I think many people who uh, call themselves pro-choice say is that you know Christians are pro-life all all the way up until somebody is born, and then after that you don't want to uh, support any kind of programming for people, etc. Et uh, they also say you know that folks who are pro-life are uh, standing out in front of abortion clinics with the veins popping out of their neck, you know, yelling at people and things like this. Um, do you think any of that criticism uh, bears any kind of honesty to it? Uh, what do you think Lakeland's approach is going to be to directly interacting with these abortion clinics? Well, it's not going to be holding signs and yelling at people. I can tell you that. Our uh, The heart of our church is to be compassionate toward the mothers. Now, certainly we understand abortion is murder. No question about that. But my, my wife teaches at a public school in the area, and she counsels lots of young women, and they have no knowledge of this. Now, it, was, it would be six years ago this January— my uh, my granddaughter Lucy was born. She was born at at, at 24 weeks. She weighed one pound eight ounces. Mm. I mean, I I couldn't hold her for. The, she was in a NICU unit for 100 days. Medical bill was about a million dollars. Uh, but now she's lively. She's she's able to do everything she wants to do. Um, and the the world would look at that and say, well, you know, 24 weeks gestation, we can do abortions like that. And when my wife shares the story about Lucy, all the girls just sit there in just stunned silence, and as as well do the guys. Mm. They said, "She's a baby," and she says, "Yes, she is." Pastor Phil Nelson is with us from Lakeland Church today in Carbondale. Uh, how many clinics do you know of that have opened up or going to open up? Well, I've heard rumors of about six. Now, I don't know that that's all been confirmed. I know the one on South Giant City Road. There's one on the west side of Carbondale, um, across the street from the Marion Eye Center. I know the Veterans Hospital in Marion has begun doing abortions again, I've heard. 
And there's another medical clinic that was purchased recently by next, next across the street from SIU Orthopedics in mm. Heron. Uh, that's all I know of at the present. We've heard that there's three others, but I haven't gotten any conf- confirmation about that. But I do know that Governor Pritzker wants to make Carbonell the abortion capital of the Midwest. And I'm, I'm try- I keep trying to think, why Carbondale? Carbondale's a small town of 26,000 people and a uh, state university. There. I, I, don't, I don't understand the issue there, but it's probably because we're closely pro- uh, in proximity to, Mer- to Missouri and Tennessee and Kentucky and Indiana. That's my guess. Certainly. Um, what else? I wonder if you're specifically asking people to join you in some specific way uh, in helping to meet people's needs and helping to respond appropriately to these abortion clinics setting up shop there is a coalition of pastors um from our from around our state that are, have met here we, we met once in august and they've developed a thing about here's our policy we don't want to yell and scream at people i mean there's some they're going to do that and we can't stop that they're, we still are a free speech country yeah um uh, but uh, when i look at how jesus re- related to people in the new testament he deals with a woman at the well. She had had five marriages that we know of, and she was living with a guy now, not her husband. He didn't yell and scream at her. He sat down and talked with her and helped her understand who he was. And so part of what we want to do is connect with and help provide the training and understanding education of some of these young moms to be, hey, there's, when somebody says we don't care about them after birth, that's not true at all. There are more pregnancy centers in this country than there are abortion clinics. Now, we don't know what's going to happen in the next several years, but right now there's more pregnancy centers that care for moms both before and after birth than there is in, than there is any abortion clinic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can tell you by the, the personal experience I've had over the last 12, since 1984, abortion clinics do not necessarily care for the, the uh, life of the mom after abortion. Matter of fact, Carol Effort in her book, Scarlet Lady, she wrote, back, wrote that back in 1989. She was a former abortion clinic owner, and she said in her own book, and when she was here on campus, she said, we purposely gave the young girls that came in for abortions a low-dose do- low dose birth control pill, knowing that would be get, they'd get pregnant again. Mm. And it, it guaranteed us repeat business. Uh, and so the, the information that sometimes is, is disseminated by the pro-choice group is not clear information. We'll disseminate, we'll disseminate both. Hey, here's what happens here. If you have an abortion, here's what's going to happen. If you, if you don't have an abortion, here's what's going to happen. If a young lady comes into our church or comes into our offices, we're going to say, we can care for you and we can make sure your baby's cared for all the way through this, uh, all of the way through your pregnancy. You don't have to pay a dime for this. We've got, we've got um, uh, maternity centers across the country that would take care of you. They'll pay their medical bills. We'll take care of you. We'll make sure you're safe. And if you choose to give your baby up for adoption, it's not going to cost you anything. Mm. We encourage that. And we just heard, and I think I was over here in the, the thing before on the way over here, that if just one out of four Christian couples said, I want to, I'll, I'll adopt a baby, every unwanted child, even those that are going to be aborted, every unwanted child would have a safe place, a Christian home to be part of. Wow, that's so an amazing it's statistic. It's amazing statistic. It's just one out of four. Yeah, that really is amazing. Yeah. Again, Phil Nelson is with us from Lakeland Church. Do you plan on going to these various locations, uh, like on a specific day, at a specific time? Is that something that's done that just sort of changes? Well, for us, uh, the last sun, last Saturday of every month, we do a pro walk in Carbondale. 
and we target you, And say that you do a what? We do a prayer walk. We, okay, a prayer we'll, walk. Yeah, it's called praying on site with insight. Mm-hmm. And so we'll go to different places like the civic hall, like uh, the police station, different schools. Um, some of our schools in Carbonell are having some incredible difficult times with, with children out of control. I mean, it's a war zone in some of them. And uh, we want to we want to effectively work with the schools to pray over those schools and pray over these abortion clinics. Here's a statistic, a statistic that I did not know of until recently. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, if you stand outside the abortion clinic and you protest, nobody's everybody comes by and they go in. But in the movie The Unplanned, the, un, the movie The un, Unplanned, um, the uh, former abortion clinic um, manager came to Christ and she said they could actively track after she's come to Christ. She'd say, when we saw the, the people outside praying and doing sidewalk counseling, the number of women that would stop to have abortions would be reduced by 75%. Wow. Our business, and you couldn't see that if you're just looking at it on surface, but if you're behind the scenes tracking the statistics, she says having people out there just to pray, to engage, not yell and scream at people, but just to engage and say, we care about you, we can take care of your baby, we can take care of you, the traffic dropped by 75%. And are you only allowed to stay on the sidewalk and you have to keep moving? Is there some sort of regulation upon how you approach that? Or it that, probably differs it from different, place to place. Different place to place, but well, as, as long as they're on the parking, the sidewalk, between the sidewalk and the street, they can stay there, that's public property. Mm. Anything considered public property, you can stand on and do anything. Now, if you prevent people from free uh, free flowing of traffic, they can stop you from doing that. If your uh, volume is too loud and it's, it's, and it's preventing them from doing the business transactions they need in the building, they can ask you to stop. Mm-hmm. But they can't ask you to stop to be there. Uh, I know that personally because I'm on campus regularly talking to students about Jesus. And uh, back in August, I was told by the some of the power the powers that be that I could not be on campus anymore. I said, well, why? They said, well, you just can't be here. I said, well, I thought this was free speech area. And they said, no, we moved the free speech area over behind Anthony Hall. That's where nobody goes. But I said, well, I'm not going to leave because my constitutional right says I can be here. I'm not impeding the free flow of traffic, and I'm not interrupting anybody's lecture. And they said, well, we'd like you to leave. I said, the only way you're going to get me to leave is if you arrest me. Um, I've compromised on that before. But I'm not going to do that anymore. The, the freedoms we have are at stake, and the gospel is at stake. So I want to, I want to be caring. I want to be, I want to be considerate of those I'm talking with, but I'm, I'm not going to give up on that. So where did that conversation ultimately end? Well, it, it, it ended very interestingly because as these two administrators got ready to leave, I just and they saw me. I've been on campus since August, and I offer, I give people $3 if they ask two questions about God. And it's, it's unusual. The pastor gives out money to get people to talk about God. But I've, I've shared Christ with 125 students, and the administrators were watching that. And they saw me actually give them $3 for asking the two questions and praying with them. And so as the administrators told me I had to leave, I said, hey, listen, before you leave, could I pray with you? And they both stopped in their tracks and said, absolutely, we'd love that. Mm. So I'm thinking there's a dichotomy here. There's something going on that's not right. They don't want the they don't want the free excess of the gospel to be there, but they're gonna let me pray with them. And so as I prayed for administrators and I prayed for people I've talked with, uh, Will I've had very very few reject the the gospel message, uh, because I don't go out and yell and scream at people. I get to know their names. I'm there on a regular basis, and um, so God's God's doing amazing things. So were you then? 
however, allowed to continue to do that? Or well, they you, walked away and they didn't do anything about it. And and you have since done the same yeah, thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and part of it, Will, is we need to know the freedoms we have in the country. And we don't want to be disrespectful to authorities. But at the same time, we want to hold authorities accountable to the laws of the land. Absolutely. And the law of the land is, and the Jay Secular's show coming up in an hour could help answer some of those questions. As a matter of fact, he helped me stay at the graduation commencement at SIU several years ago. Uh, he wrote a legal brief on our, on our behalf. But uh, as long as the land is accessible by the public, you can be there to pass out any kind of literature you want. And you can be there and engage in any kind of conversation you want. Now, if it starts impeding the business that's happening, if you're standing outside a donut shop and you're, you're talking to people about Jesus and Pastor, it's going to turn people away from the donut shop. So we want to do that. But a public university, we can be anywhere we want to, engage in students with any way we want to, unless we're doing something that's keeping them from studying or, right. you know, impeding some professor's lecture. Basically, you can give someone an invitation to a conversation, but you can't sort of... Uh, hold their attention against their will that's right you have to uh, they, you have to have their permission to do that right right, right. Uh, pastor phil nelson with us pastor i can keep you for another segment uh if you have the time i'd love to all right we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with more right after this uh, one of the things that you really enjoy doing is uh going out and evangelizing by saying to people, uh, ask me two questions about God and I'll give you $3. Well, that's a unique approach. Former station owner Harold Lauder would have loved that. That is just right up his sort of alley of the kind of unique thing to engage people with. Uh, I wonder what, when you are taking that approach, are the most common questions that people ask you? That's a great question. And, and Will, I was not prepared for the, the number one answer this year. Usually it's, you know, why does God allow evil and suffering? Or how do we know the Bible's true? Yeah. Those questions weren't even on the top 10. Really? The number one question the students are asking this year, and this comes from 125, questions, 125 students, am I going to be okay when life is over? I mean, they're terrified. They would not admit that openly to anybody else, but their, their biggest question is right now, am I doing what's right that's going to make my life better when I die? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really the question I ask almost everybody after I'm done the two questions. I said, could I ask you a question? And they said, well, sure. I said, if life came to an end for you right now, and we hope that doesn't happen, but if it does, what's going to happen to you? And I'd say out of the 125, 100 of them said, I've never thought about that before. Never thought about no, it before. No, no. And, Will, this is the thing that was that – was, Concerning to me, because I'd find a lot of students that are coming from these rural areas in southern Illinois, we used to think this is a Bible Belt. When I'd ask them, can you name any of the Ten Commandments? They couldn't. They're, they're unaware of the Ten Commandments. They're unaware. Most of them have never read a Bible. They know the Bible is out there, but they've never opened it. And we, we've reached the conclusion somehow in our churches that <clears throat> the American people have heard the gospel. Well, we are now the second largest unreached people nation in the, in the world, next to China. I mean, we've got, uh, China has probably more, they've got more Bible-believing Christians in China than we have. Uh, well, oh, the number's over 100 million right now in China. We couldn't come close to that in America. Uh, so what I'm trying to do, my, my goal when I go out to evangelize students is this. I'm not here to convert you. I'm not going to manipulate you. Here's what I want to have happen in our conversation. I want to help you understand who the real Jesus is 
And then when you understand who the real Jesus is, then you'll be able to make the right choice. I want you, if you're going to reject Jesus, I want you to reject the right view of Jesus, not the wrong one. Because there are a lot of people that say, well, I don't believe, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that God sends people to hell. And I, I think God's harsh and he's mad and he's angry. I said, well, you know what? I don't believe in that God either. Because in the Old Testament, God says, I've, I've loved you with an everlasting love. When Manasseh for 55 years as a king is sacrificing his sons and daughters to false gods, he repents at the end of his life and God forgives him. That's crazy. I don't get that. Ahab, one of the worst kings of the world, fasts and prays and God tells the, the prophet Elijah, do you see the sackcloth he's wearing? Hey, he's, he's good. I'm going to forgive him for this. I mean, that's the kind of God we have in the Old Testament. Uh, then the New Testament gives us a further picture of that. But my, my passion is to help students and faculty as well come to understand who Jesus really is in the Scripture. And then when they get that, they're, they're, they're amazed. I, I, didn't know he, I didn't know he said that. You know what I think a big struggle in America today for Christians is that they haven't forgotten what they believe, mm -hmm. okay? But they are afraid to talk about it. And, and they're most afraid to talk about it with their own family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you should, in theory, be able to talk to your family more easily than a stranger, right? In some senses. Yes, but your family knows you better than anybody else. <laughs> right. And, and so the, the family dynamic of the faith, yes. I think, has deteriorated to the point where Christians even inside their own families, are sort of living their faith in a silo. You know, everybody there on, you know, Thanksgiving mealtime may have been to church in the last year at some mm -hmm. point, but nobody speaks up to even say the prayer before the meal. Well, part of that, Will, I think is we've lost the, <clears throat> the ability to commune with God. You know, John chapter 17, verse 9, Jesus in his high priestly prayer says, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou sent. A lot of people have gone to church. I went to church all the way up till eighth grade, and my, my dad was a Methodist pastor. But I dropped out of church because it was boring. It didn't connect with me. I wasn't getting the answers I needed. And so I, I, I didn't go to church again until I came down here to SIU. And this is where I found Jesus. When I found Jesus, there are five men that poured into my life. They helped me understand the Bible. They answered my questions. They said, when you go to your class, your class is your mission field, so Jesus needs to be made much of through your life to your class. I debated Dr. Howard Staines in my evolution class my senior year at the end of the semester, and it was a phenomenal experience for me. Um, my, my heart as a pastor, as a discipler, is to help men and women understand the scriptures to get a grasp of them, to get a good handle on them, and then to learn how to communicate that across all different kinds of faiths. You know, we've got a good friend of ours, a, a radical Muslim, I mean, not radical, conservative Muslim from Iran. Uh, I've got a good friend of mine who was teaching American government in South Dakota State University. He was from Iran. Uh, his name's Beruz. Um, not a believer yet, but I've got, I've got an unbeliever that we're, as an uh, uh, engineer from Motorola up in North Chicago, and he overheard me doing my Bible study at this SIU cafeteria and said, hey, could, could I get in on that? I said, sure. Have it. And five minutes later, he says, I don't believe all that. I said, well, tell me why, Bill. Right. Uh, Andrew was his name. 
Uh, and uh, so we, we began a conversation. We're still in conversation six years after he's graduated. And just last year in December, he said, you know, you told me to start to talk to God like he really existed. And I didn't think that would work. I've got a text on my phone. And he says, I started talking to God, and it seems like life has gone better. And then he says, uh, I need to know how I can start giving to your church. Wow. I've got an unbeliever in Chicago, not yet a believer, saying, I need to give some money to your church because I'm finding some answers. That's pretty cool. Well, yeah, that is. Visiting today with Phil Nelson, pastor of uh, Lakeland Baptist Church in Carbondale. Take another break. Be back with more right after this. It's 1246, and we still have to get one more break in, so I'll have to go quick. But we do get a text message in on the text line, and it says, Why does the pastor think there is such a low turnout in the Christian community for pro-life events? And, of course, I might, maybe you don't believe there's a low turnout. I don't know. Well, I, I do think the, the turnout could be a lot greater. Um, it's because we're, we're afraid of the cost. If we, in, in our world, I, was, I just read a book yesterday, Auschwitz, uh, The Untold Story by a doctor who was served in, in that camp. And he said, we find that many of, the, many of the people who went to the gas chambers, they knew ahead of time there was trouble coming. The Germans had tried to make it very difficult for them to stay in Germany. They wanted to leave the country so they wouldn't go through this. And the Jews that sought to get out of the country before the thing came, they could see the trouble coming. There were ones that got out, and his, in his word in his forward in the book, he said there were many Jews that were so tied to their home, they would not leave their property. If they would have left their property, they probably would have been able to rescue their life. Mm. And I just preached yesterday from Luke chapter 10, Jesus calls us to go out without, without money, without luggage, with, you know, without, there's a sense in when, when God calls us to be his disciples, there's a cost involved. And people are afraid to pay the cost. I might lose my job. I might lose this, whatever. If everybody who is a believer stood the, stood the test and said, I will not back down on this truth, and I will stand, on, I will stand together united with this pro-life issue, it'd be, it'd be over in a heartbeat. But we don't have enough to do that. And part of that is they're afraid of losing their jobs. They're afraid of losing their friends. They're afraid of making enemies of people they've been friends with for a long time. Yeah. And we have to come to the conclusion what would it be like you know, when, they did, when, they, when the Allies took over and, and won the war, they made the people that lived in those cities where the Johnson concentration camps were, they made them walk through the concentration camps. They made them walk through the, the ovens. Well, they went mad. And what happened was, as long as the war was on, they kept denying anything, was, anything bad was happening. Well, once they, got realized, once they realized what their silence had done, they couldn't live with themselves. And that's a, that's a great fear of mine, is when we start really understanding what abortion is, it's violence. And when you think about 60 million plus, we're 10 times worse than well, what Hillary did. And if we continue to allow that to happen without speaking up, it's uh, Proverbs uh, 23 says, rescue those staggering towards slaughter and hold them back. If we don't speak out to warn those that are heading that direction, you think about that, 65 million ab aborted babies, but there's a mom and a dad involved with that. There's family members. Almost everybody in the nation has had some contact with abortion, and they've got blood on their hands. And the scripture is very clear. Unless there's that repentance and that, that calls for 
the church to say, I'm going to, I'm going to live for Jesus no matter what it costs me. Uh, we're in trouble. With us today, uh, Pastor Phil Nelson from Lakeland Church. I want to, uh, before we take the last break and wrap it up here today, once again, uh, remind folks that you have uh, prayer walks on a consistent basis, and you mm-hmm. would welcome people to uh, join you for those? Yes, it's the last Saturday of every month. It, it goes from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock. We meet at Lakeland Church, and we specifically go and pray over the abortion clinics. And where is Lakeland Church exactly? Lakeland Church is 709 South Giant City Road in Carbondale. Okay. Uh, Pastor, anything else you want to say before? because uh, we're out of time before I take this last break? I just say, uh, if you're a believer listening to this station today, get with your church and begin to pray for awakening. We know the need is great. Uh, let's become a house of prayer for all nations. Thank you so much, Pastor. Have a great day. Thank you.